0: Well, a truly beautiful uh, array of songs. You can tell that the guys are ramping up for Impact, and they are beautiful songs. We look forward to to Impact coming soon. We're excited about how many people are registering for that and people coming from literally all over New Zealand, many, many churches uh, represented. And so if you haven't yet registered, please go ahead and do that. You will enjoy that. I know some people are saying, well, hang on, there's no meals. No meals. You know, we love food, right? It's indicative. Even that is illustrative of how much we love food. I do want to let you know there will be food, just won't be uh, meals out of the kitchen, but we'll ramp up the morning and afternoon teas. There'll be food trucks. So your hunger will be satisfied. At impact, we can assure you. But that is indicative of our desire for food. Some of you are already thinking ahead to lunch, um, what you could eat. We like to travel, and when we travel, we often enjoy different uh, cuisine, different places. I can remember a few years ago, Lisa and I headed off to uh, Monado uh, to see Simon and Annie up there and attend Alan and Pat's wedding, and there was all sorts of beautiful food, spicy food. And uh, one of the places we went to that they introduced us to became one of Lisa and I's favorite restaurants called Bakaricha. It's owned by some Muslims and they cook the most beautiful food over the coals, really spicy food, lovely food. And speaking of that area, that region, even that trip, uh, there'd be beautiful spread of food. I can recall at Alan and Pat's wedding, it was the same food we really began to appreciate because you had to, spicy food. And um, we love spicy food anyway. But then there's a dish that you just have trouble thinking about digesting. And that is dog. And so it's common practice over there to eat dog. And so you could look at all the food that's on display, but then there'd be this one food that you just couldn't bring yourself to digest Well, what we're going to see in our passage this morning is the same is true for the crowds of people, the Jewish leaders, is there's a food being presented to them and they just wouldn't digest it. They wouldn't take it in. I'm not comparing Jesus to a dog, although if we were, we'd call him the Hound of Heaven. And it's my prayer that the Hound of Heaven would chase anyone here this morning who has not yet put their faith in the Lord Jesus and... Come to him. But we're in John's gospel, the glorious and great gospel that is John's gospel. And you remember the purpose of John's gospel? He tells us that explicitly in John chapter 20, verse 31, that this gospel was written so that one might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing one might have what? Life in his name life in his name and that's going to be a theme of our passage this morning we're in John's gospel we're also obviously in John 6 if you're visiting with us we're working our way verse by verse through this gospel we find ourselves this morning we're going to consider verses 52 to 59 of John's gospel John's gospel over oh, John 6 rather John 6 obviously began Jesus feeds the multitude the crowd then comes he says you only want your tummy full we would never say that people only come to impact to have their tummy full people come to receive spiritual nourishment but jesus rebukes the people there and he says you're only coming to have your tummy full i'm telling you of something far greater than physical bread i'm telling you about spiritual life i'm the source of your life i'm the sustainer of your life i ought be and must be the satisfaction of your life and then we find ourselves now in this very intriguing passage. You know, people read this passage and then say, oh, that's the, one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And, and it is to a certain degree. The, the disciples called it a difficult statement in verse 60. Um, so let's read our passage here this morning and then pray. And then we're going to ask ourselves a question. And I trust over two months now, you know what that question will be. John chapter 6, verse 52. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Then the Jews began to argue with one another. Saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he, that's Jesus, said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, we acknowledge that you are good and holy and awesome. You are indeed the ancient of days and you sent Your beloved Son, the Son of Man, whom you bestowed a kingdom to, an eternal kingdom. Lord, we are part of that kingdom even now. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we have received so much that we do not deserve. We've received grace upon grace. We've received the mind of Christ. We've received the word of the living God. We've received the words of the Son of God so that joy may be ours and that our joy may be made complete. And so help us to live in light of all these truths and help us to come face to face with the glory of your son in the pages of Holy Scripture. We ask that you would bless the reading, the preaching of your word and the sitting under of which both preacher and congregant do, Lord, we ask that you might aid us now in this time and bless us, we pray. Amen.
1: Well, what is your only
0: comfort in life and death? (laughs) What is it? You remember that I'm not my own, not my own, but belong with both body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. And He set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, in light of all of that, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life. And makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. In our passage of consideration this morning, verses 52-59 to of John 6, Jesus is making a summarization of what He has said earlier in this chapter. That's how you need to look at these verses. He's summarizing what He has said and He repeats it now but this time in far more intense language. It's Pretty intense to call someone to eat your flesh and to drink your blood. It's intense. Speaking of intensity, I want you to observe that throughout this chapter, there has been this sort of ramping up. At the beginning, the people come for food. Jesus miraculously feeds tens of thousands of people. Then they want more physical food they miss all together the sign that was performed that points like a sign does a sign always points to signify something greater that's why john doesn't use the word miracle he uses the word sign they miss the point altogether that jesus provides spiritual food he provides life he provides sustenance he provides stability he provides satisfaction The people follow Jesus over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When they arrive, Jesus tells them and things begin to ramp up a little bit more. He tells them, you're only coming to have your physical hunger squashed. And then as we saw last week in verse 41, things escalate even more as people begin to grumble and complain. The Jewish religious leaders, the legalists, they begin to complain. There is this elevation, this escalation in the air. Jesus then responds with the grand doctrine of election He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. That's obviously a further elevation, an escalation. And then in our passage this morning, as we read there, beginning in verse 51, the people are now arguing more intensity. And then in response, Jesus doesn't water anything down and say, hold on a second, things are getting a little too intense here. Let me tell you something that he ramps it up. He doesn't slow down. He purposely ramps it up. And he makes those statements like my flesh, my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Incredibly offensive language. And then after our passage of consideration this morning, you see in verse 60, it says many of his disciples said this is a difficult thing. So things are escalating even more. This is hard. And then look at verse 61. Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? Basically saying, you think this is crazy? Wait until you see me in a glorified body, after the resurrection, after spending many days with you, just take off into the sky. (laughs) There's more escalation in verse 66. Well, sorry, verse 64. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who it was that would betray him. Now betrayal arrives on the scene. Things are escalating even further. Verse 65. He was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me. Unless it has been granted him from the Father. He's saying, in case you forgot about that. I realize that that's difficult, but in case you forgot about it, that's a fact. And then look at verse 66. As a result of this, so as a result of the grand doctrine of election, as a result of the difficult sayings, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. More escalation. More intensity. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? And then in verse 70, Jesus answered them and said, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Even more escalation now. The devil is now brought into the picture. Things are just at a height here. There's not much that isn't here. And So this entire chapter is this kind of slow burn intensity. Of increasing intensity. And it's Jesus' words who is purposely bringing the temperature up. He is working to accomplish something grand and glorious by doing so. And inside all of that is this deep lesson for us. That when we plumb the depths of it, it exposes these rich promises for us. And these immense benefits that we receive. From an all-glorious and all-sovereign and all-wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus, who has showered us with such immeasurable, immeasurable blessings. We'll see some of those in our passage this morning. In fact, in our passage this morning, in verses 52 to 59, there are three saving benefits we receive from Christ that we will consider this morning. So that joy can be ours on a greater level. And as a result of that, God's glory can be manifest through us as we digest what Christ gives us here. And so look again at verse 51 for a moment, though. Verse 51. I am the living bread, Jesus said, that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, you can imagine he's pointing to himself. I am the bread. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The the Jews were grumbling at this statement. We saw that last week back in verse 41. They were grumbling. Here, now in verse 52, they are arguing. The Greek word there is conveying the idea of a very heated argument. They're not just debating about which sports team won among friends. This is a heated argument. The Jews were groaning and moaning and grumbling, and now it had become fighting. They're saying to each other, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You'll note that Jesus had not said that yet, though. So definitively, he says that in the verses that come after verse 52. But in verse 51, he had obviously pointed to himself. He'd simply said that he is the bread, and unless you eat this bread, you'll have no life. Just like the woman at the well, you remember, initially, she didn't get it. Just like the crowds by the sea, they didn't get it. And here now, the Jewish Religious folk of the day did not see past the earthly to the spiritual. You see, while Jesus' words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood would have been altogether bizarre, and it kind of is. If they'd listened carefully and not been in an outrage kind of stage they would have noticed the connection between what Jesus was saying here in verse 51 and 53 and onwards with what he had just said in verse 40. Now before I show you that, I want to just say that in Leviticus chapter 17, I think it's verse 10, Yahweh explicitly says to the people of Israel, You are not to drink blood. You are not to drink blood. Jesus would never, being God Himself, but also being the fulfillment of the law, He would never violate the law of God. If He violated the law of God, then He couldn't be a substitute in our place. And so, here's what they were missing. If you look back at verse 40, Jesus says, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. And now look at verse 54. Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so, the results of believing and the results of, metaphorically speaking, eating and drinking are the same. They both lead to eternal life. And so Jesus is clearly saying the exact same thing, but granted, in our passage this morning, just in a far more severe, intense way, even an escalated way. And so it's clear to see that Jesus is not speaking literally about consuming him in some cannibalistic manner. He's speaking figuratively, of course, to convey a very significant spiritual truth. And he's conveying this truth to three different types of people before him. This is very important to keep in mind so as to not avoid confusion. You see, a disciple at the most basic fundamental level in the meaning of the word is a person who's joined a group of people who are following, pursuing Jesus, And going from place to place. Fundamental meaning. There are the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus, by grace, who have placed their faith in Christ. Then there are the crowds of people just following Jesus out of intrigue, out of interest, just going from place to place. Including these religious Jews here in our passage who are fighting and grumbling. These two are disciples. But they're not disciples in the saving sense. They're disciples in the most basic sense and definition of the word. And John, here in the remainder of John 6 in our passage, is making that distinction. He's making that distinction. And so you have the 12, you have the religious people, including. The Jews, the crowds of people rather, and the religious people, that's one group. And then there's Judas, who is a professing disciple, but he is of the devil, for he will betray Christ. And so many ways, at the heart level, Judas is just like the religious Jews, he's just like the crowds of people, he is of the devil. But he professes to follow Christ. And so we need to keep all that in mind. Because there are disciples and then there are disciples. Namely, the twelve, the regenerate. And what you have here is a scene where the crowds of people, which includes, as I said, the Jewish religious folk inside the synagogue, displaying an utter inability to digest the food being offered to them. I'm not sure, Simon and Annie, if it would have been culturally Inappropriate or insensitive for Lisa and I to decline the dog. But by God's grace and mercy, we were never offered the dog. But these people here, they're just not willing to digest what is set before them. Christ has come and offered himself as true bread. True bread from heaven and they don't want it. It's not something, he is not something that they can stomach. Yes, in verse 52, they are confused and they ask the question. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus then unfolds in light of that question, more of what he means. And he doesn't dilute it. In fact, as I said, if anything, he makes it harder for them to grasp. In a way, it's almost quite parabolic. It's like a parable. My flesh, my blood. It's like a parable. And what's important to note is, in many ways, even certainly in part here, as Jesus speaks the way He does in His earthly ministry, and as He speaks here, Jesus is fulfilling the reality that God... In his sovereignty, in his wisdom, has chosen to hide the truth from the religious. The religiosities of the day, the legalism of the day. In our day and in his day, to hide the truth from the legalists and to reveal it to the common folk. The babes. You remember in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was asked the question... Why do you speak like this? And Jesus answered there and He said to them, To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them, Jesus said, it has not been granted. Praise God that it's been granted to you and I to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Because you and I were born into a kingdom of darkness and of death. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of light and life and the kingdom of His beloved Son. The church, gathered corporately, is the greatest expression of the glory of God here on earth because it is the kingdom of God corporately together in union with the Son, communing with one another, worshipping Him. It's being granted. I love that. Jesus continued on there in Matthew 13 after saying that. He said, while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus said, this is to fill the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, saying, in their case, the prophecy is fulfilled that you will, quoting Isaiah now, you will keep on hearing but not understand, keep on seeing but not perceive. For the heart of the people has become dull with their ears. They scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. And then after that, Jesus then says to the twelve and he says to each and every person here this morning who's trusted in Jesus. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And blessed are your ears because they No wonder Jesus repeatedly says all through the Gospel of John, and particularly in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Because the Father in the drawing gives eyes and ears. Eyes and ears. And so there's an aspect of that kind of thing going on here too, when Jesus ramps it up. It's a form of judgment too, to the Jewish religious elite. Their confusion does come from a sort of divinely given blindness. A hardening of their heart. But Jesus is teaching something very profound here. And people will hear it. You heard it. I heard it. People will believe it. You believed it. I believed it. But for some, this kind of thing will be hard. And some will walk away. But the blessed will see. And the blessed will hear. For in these words, Jesus is showcasing some very, very rich blessings for the one who sees and hears by grace. I want us to consider these three saving benefits that we receive from Christ so that our joy can be full. And as a result of that joy, God's glory can be manifest through us as we digest what Christ is giving to us. I want us to see first, the first saving benefit. If you're taking notes, it's this. When you eat and drink of Christ by faith, by trust, you receive, number one, new life. New life. Look at verse 52 and 53. Well, the end of it anyway. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus says to them, verse 53, look there. Truly, truly. So, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. No life. Often there's a phrase out there, get a life. Well, by grace, we got one. Jesus here, by putting it in the negative, I trust you see that, He's putting it in the negative. He's showing that the only way to have life is to eat of Him and drink of Him, the Son of Man. And to eat and drink is, as I explained earlier, it is synonymous with believing. Synonymous with believing. So to us, it's actually not that difficult to understand. I mean, we're in the New Covenant. We have the New Covenant blessings, eyes illuminating the Holy Spirit. But it's quite simple to see upon study that eating and drinking His flesh and blood is synonymous with believing. So don't get it twisted. The Roman Catholics get it twisted. They do all sorts of things with this, transubstantiation, all sorts of stuff. But this is pretty simple here. Outside of faith and trust in Jesus, there's no life. There's no life. You say, what do you mean? There's people that are alive. Well, everyone is born into this world with Adam as their team leader. Adam's the team leader. He's the representative. He's the federal head, to use theological terms. Adam died in the garden spiritually. Adam once had life. Died as a result of sin, pride, deceit. Spiritual death entered in. No longer were there the marks of life that they enjoyed in the garden, Adam and Eve. But rather the marks of the fall and the curse. Thorns and thistles and sweat and labor pains. All from a special form of pride and self-reliance. It all dominated Adam and then everyone from Adam. That kind of death spread to all. We know it. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, death through sin. So taking away of life, death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin humanity was very much still alive physically but the spiritual component was now dead no life that is humanity today outside of the grace of and mercy of god in the person of christ there are flickers of the former days of eden though in humanity in the lives of the people of the world. Why? Because as humanity, they manifest the imago Dei, Latin for the image of God. But overall, mankind as a whole, there's only decay and death and an appetite for sin. That's the bent of the human existence to gratify self, to glorify in self, and really to worship self. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 summed up humanity by saying that there is just this futility in their mind, darkness in their heart and their understanding, ignorance, he said, within them, hardness of heart, callousness about them, sexual sin and sensuality just reigns over them, greediness, and then get this, He wrote that they are excluded from the life of God. The life of God. And so Jesus says here in John 6, Unless you believe, that is unless you eat and drink of the Son of Man, you have no life of God. Look at verse 53 again. And look at the word eat and look at the word drink. Those two verbs, because verbs are doing, words, in verse 53, they are not what is called present tense verbs. They are what is called aorist. Present tense verbs convey the idea of a continuous action. And aorist here conveys the idea of a one-time deal. A one-time deal. For our justification... Remember, our justification is where God looks at us as though we have only ever been righteous and live righteously. How does he do that? Because of Jesus Christ, only ever living righteous. And so, for our justification here, to get life, one bite is enough. Just one little sip of Jesus is enough. A simple trust in the bread of heaven, the Lord Jesus, gives you eternal life. Grants you life in God. Once excluded, deserving of punishment. Now included, undeserving of life. I hope that strikes you here. You and I have what we don't deserve. That's a pretty cool thing. During the week... Things are really hard. Interrelationally, things can get hard. Marriage can get hard. Bumping into brothers and sisters can get hard. But when we remember that we have received that which we do not deserve, those things ought to get a little bit easier. Living in light of the immense grace that we have received. altogether undeserving of new life, but granted it abundantly. Jesus goes on to say in this gospel, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I came that they, that is my people, the ones that were given to me by the Father from before the foundation of the world, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. New life in Christ is immense. What does it look like? What is it? Well, it's a dead heart now awakened. It's a soul that had no rest that now finds rest. It's a person that was in possession of only the peace that the world can offer. Peace, peace when there is no peace. Who now is is at peace. It's a person who was promised such joy from the lies of the world and found no joy and now found deep abiding joy. It's eyes that were blind that can now see. It's ears that were unable to hear that can now hear. Truth that once was not penetrating the very heart of a person, now goes into the very heart of a person to guide them and sanctify them. It's a person who possessed the mind that was hostile to the things of God and then is given the very mind of Jesus Christ. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, regenerate, illumined, enlightened. Enlightened where there now can be the manifestation and ever-growing and ever-increasing fruit of the Spirit. Life is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, humanity can and does display those. They display those. Unredeemed humanity displays those because they're evidencing their creator. But we who have new life can supernaturally exercise those in utter contrast to the world. And we must. We must exercise love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness to one another in ever increasing ways, because that is a mark of new life, and God gets greater glory. His glory is greater manifested when our new life is visible in those ways. You know, another aspect of new life is freedom. Freedom. Galatians 5 also says in verse 1 that it was for freedom. That Christ set us free for freedom. Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 36 says, Whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. You know, we are obviously free from the penalty of sin, we are free from an enslavement to sin. We still sin, but we're free from its bondage and its penalty. And one day we'll be free from its presence. What a good day that'll be. And then also in Christ we have freedoms and liberties. We're not legalists. Like the religious elite that Jesus is talking to here. We're not legalists. We have Conscience issues where freedom is afforded to us. We're not bound by some legal code of the law of God. Of do not touch and do not eat and do not X, Y and Z. Because in Christ where scripture neither expressly forbids or commands. There is freedom of liberty and conscience. New life in Christ is immense. And we lay hold of all that by faith, by trust. We eat of Christ and drink of Him, the bread that He is, from heaven for us. He became flesh and dwelt among us. His origin is from heaven. He is the finest of food. Sometimes you want to know where that food come from. Who made that? What ingredients are in that? I'm not sure if I can digest that. Jesus is the finest food from heaven. One taste gives new life. Let us live out that new life in joy and gratitude and perseverance and holiness and forbearance with one another. So that God receives all glory and honor. That's the first saving benefit. The second saving benefit is number two, that when you eat and drink of Christ by faith, you receive, number two, eternal life. You say, Well, hang on a second, we just spoke about new life, and now we're talking about eternal life. Yes. These benefits here are not sequential in the sense that they roll out one after the other. These are more consequential. They they are just the realities of who we are. Because remember what I said at the start. Jesus is summarizing all that he's taught prior. This is a summary. He adds now, excuse me, he adds now to this concept of life the fact that it is eternal. And some extra benefits and riches to it. Look at verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And one of the components of eternal life, Jesus says there, is I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus mentions that repeatedly here, that we don't simply just go to the grave. We go to the grave for a moment. Our souls immediately go to be with Christ. There comes a day soon where we will be given glorified bodies We will raise in newness of life and we will be with one another, be with Christ for all eternity in that eternal life. In John chapter 17 verse 3, Jesus says that this is eternal life. He even says in verse 2 prior to that that He was sent that He may grant eternal life. This is eternal life that you know Jesus and God whom sent Jesus. The Apostle John would go ahead and write in First John. I'm going to turn there for you and read a little bit of First John chapter 2. Let me read it for you. John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Eternal. You see, we, we certainly receive life when we believe in Jesus here on earth. And we experience an ever increasing of the fruit of the spirit and the joys of freedom in Christ as we grow. And we grow in maturity as we look to Christ our head. Paul said in Ephesians. And yet, that's not all there is. There is a life to come. In fact, it's been well said that some of the dramas we face here on earth, and we face many. And some of the contentions we face here on earth, and sometimes there's many. And sometimes the straining of relationships among believers, and sometimes there's many. Many. All of that will just be like one bad night's sleep when we go to be in heaven's glory. That's a beautiful thing. That helps put the things happening here on earth into perspective and helps us navigate through those things. But listen to the rest of 1 John chapter 2 now. After John writes that, the one who does the will of God lives forever, he says a few verses down... Who is the liar? Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have... The Father, the Jewish elite that are standing before Jesus in John chapter 6, they thought they were right with God the Father. But they were not digesting, therefore they were denying the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning... If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which He Himself made to us. Eternal life. Eternal life. Back in John 6 in verse 55 Jesus says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. There's a lot of false ways to receive of God, Jesus is saying, but believe in me and it's the true way is what he's saying in verse 55. And so that's the second saving benefit. Eternal life raised up on the last day. All the joy that we experience now here on earth will be, as we sung earlier, made complete. We experience much of what we are going to experience in the fullest in eternal glory to come. But now, in verses 56 to 59, Jesus then adds yet another component. And in many ways, this third saving benefit kind of undergirds and encapsulates all the others. And you'll know what I mean in a moment. Because when you eat and drink of Christ by faith, you receive, number three, united life. So we receive new life, we receive eternal life, and then third, we receive united life. Have a, read, have a look at these verses 56 to 59, and you'll see what I mean. Jesus says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will believe because of me. Here is the doctrine of the union with Christ. Adam, as I said earlier, is our, is our head. We are united to Adam. And therefore, when we're united to Adam, we receive all that Adam has and adam don't have much other than death and decay and disaster but then when we lay hold of christ by faith we receive everything that christ has and christ has a storehouse of riches that you cannot number he has all the blessings of god all the promises of god a yes and amen in christ to whom we are united to we have peace with god the forgiveness of sins Everlasting life. All these immense things are ours because of our union with Christ. Jesus says, you come and you eat of me, you drink of me. That is, you believe in me. When you believe in me, you abide in me. And I, he says, abide in you. You are We are united. And something beautiful about union with Christ. Union with Christ is not something that is simply ours at the entry point of faith, union with Christ is something that's been ours from before the foundation of the world. When the triune God had planned redemption, we were united to Christ. And then down through time, we then lay hold of all those riches by faith. It's a beautiful thing. I'll be talking more about that at Impact Conference. Please pray for me. I want to highlight something now. All through this Jesus has spoken about my flesh. He says my flesh over and over. In in verse 58, Just so we close that off, he says that he came down out of heaven. The fathers ate the manna. The manna, and they died. So the manna couldn't even save them physically. You thought of that before? The manna didn't even save them physically, nor spiritually. Christ comes, he'll save you spiritually. Eat of him, his flesh, you'll live forever. Those things were taught in the synagogue. But all through this, as I said, my flesh, my flesh. I thought about that a lot this week. I thought, well, he wants us to know something about my flesh. Verse 51, I give my flesh. All through there. You know, we need every part of Christ's flesh. What do I mean? Well, we need Christ to be like us. And he is, yet without sin. He is, the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And so he has a human likeness to us. And because he is a human like us, in his humanity, he can therefore then be our representative. If he was unlike us, he couldn't atone for our sin. But he lived a life of perfect obedience, earning righteousness. You need to understand that. Christ is perfect in His deity, but He learned obedience. And He earned and merited for us righteousness that would then be clothed upon us. And I say all of that because as we think of my flesh, you know what? We need His eyes. Why do we need His eyes? Well, you and I have looked at things we shouldn't look at. But Christ never looked upon anything that was unholy. We need his mouth. Why do we need his mouth? Well, you and I have said and do say many a thing that we ought not say. But he never spoke a word of sin. We certainly need his hands. We need his hands. You and I at times have had impure hands. But he has clean hands and a pure heart. He never committed sin with his hands. We need his feet. Why do we need his feet? Because our feet carry us to places we ought not go. You look over the totality of your life and perhaps you've done things with your hands and been places with your feet and looked at things with your eyes and said things with your mouth that should never have been done, said or thought and Christ's feet only ever looked towards Calvary's cross and he never sidestepped he never deviated he just kept going we need his feet We need his heart. You and I have, at times, the overflow of our heart indicates where we're at spiritually. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we say and think things about our brothers and sisters that we ought not say and think. We're really good with our own motives and intentions, but we judge the motives and intentions of our brothers and sisters. We need His heart. His heart is pure. And so when we come and we partake of His flesh, we're taking part of everything that we need that we don't have. And that's a beautiful, Praise God for the Lord Jesus who went ahead of us with his eyes, his mouth, his hands, his feet, and his heart. Because his heart beats for every one of his people. What a joy it is to be in union with Christ. Because that union then leads to communion. And the union we have because it's by faith is fixed. It goes nowhere. But our communion with the risen and victorious Jesus Christ can waver. Because as we're not coming to Christ and drawing from Christ, we're drawing from another place, the self or the world. And when we have communion with Christ, things are rich. And one of the ways that God has ordained that we have communion with Christ is by having communion with one another. There's been many things that will hinder our communion with one another. Our eyes, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our heart. But let us now lay hold of the true bread of heaven and live to his glory, abounding in joy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and say thank you for this life. Father, you sent your son who is the bread of life. We come to him, we don't hunger, we come to him, we never thirst because of life. We thank you that we're not dead while we're living, but we're alive while we're living here on earth. And then we await eternal life when we're raised up on that day. Thank you for true food and true drink. Lord, we digested Christ because of your grace. Outside of that, it's repugnant. We cannot go and even dare stomach Christ. But we, by your grace, have been made alive. And we have drunk of the true food, the true drink. Thank you, living Father, for sending the living Son. And we live because of you. Thank you for the immeasurable blessings that are ours. Help us to live in communion with one another as a reflection of the undeserved union we have with your son, the Lord Jesus. And pray for anyone here who thinks that these are trife things, trivial things. As they look to Jesus, they just see foolishness and folly. We pray, Father, that you would attend their heart by your spirit that gives life. And please give them life today. And for those of us that have life, as we face the battles of our physical life, may we rest in the one who is the resurrection and the life. And to the glory of God, all God's people said,